You don't oh get two God. thumbs uh, up. It's Siskel and Ebert. No, no, no we definitely. We, you it's, said three thumbs up. There it's are time three of us to... on the show, Rich. Wouldn't it be six thumbs up then? No, you only put up you one know, thumbs. I, oh I got to be honest. I, I, I definitely feel like no... we were doing so well. We like, were doing we, really well. I, 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 we could I have, am gonna. I'm gonna cut for this. You do realize that Siskel and Ebert each held up one thumb each. Rich, can I stop recording? Yeah, we can stop. I don't know who those people are. What? Oh my god. And welcome to another episode of Even More Mashed Up, the pop culture podcast featuring two professors and a rich talking about all things <laughs> pop culture. I'm Patrick. Hey, and I'm Alan. And for for maybe first time listeners joining us who don't really know who we are, welcome to a podcast that takes up topics so diverse that it often feels like we're talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah, all right. I like that. All right, well, good night, folks. Yeah, I said that. Speaking of which. So, yes, today's topic is everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. Indeed. Mm-hmm. So, where would you like to? Did anybody? Any, I mean, it, it is a film about the multiverse, and Alan usually has questions multiverse about the multiverse potential of and of a sorts of time travel. Yeah. So I also have I also have questions for Alan about the multiverse. Exciting. Alan, I'm looking forward to. Yes. Yes. So, uh, Alan, do you want to start with with your multiverse questions, or I can start with mine? Or yeah. Well, here's the thing. I know that I have a reputation for not liking multiversal stuff, but this was in actually... That you generally say you don't like them when we talk about them, yes. Well, time travel especially. Multiverses Understand on and so. off. You know, I think I actually understand, and I, I mean, I'm almost afraid to say this out loud, but I, I think I understand the multiversal interdimensional kind of travel here. Like, if I... Tell me if I'm not getting it right, Patrick. The The basic idea is that every decision you make creates kind of branched off universes. And yes, if that's yep. my understanding, I mean, I understood that as a kindergartner. I could remember when I was like in kindergarten sitting, like being outside my house in the backyard thinking if I did something so unexpectedly unique, I could actually create a branched reality. Like this is exactly how I thought about the world when I was five years old. Well, I, I mean, that's generally true of of almost yeah, every multiverse that's... is based on, you know, I mean, that's, that's why they're alternate realities. They're realities in which you did something different or alternate to what you did. And so that's, now, that's fairly usually, common to all multiverses. Yeah. Now, usually so it most seems... movies make a big deal about it where it's like, oh, you saved somebody, you didn't save somebody. As opposed to, you know, you got a paper cut or you didn't get a paper cut. Hmm. You know. True. The decisions do tend to be more uh, monumental in, in, you know, Loki killed Thor, Loki didn't kill Thor. Yeah. Type stuff. When in in realities, if you did, like, again, like in this film shows that, like, the multiverse is literally every minute decision, you know. 
mm-hmm. we start a minute later recording the podcast, hypothetically that's another reality, yes. which might be perfectly the same, except for the one thing, or it might be that when the apocalypse happens. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that I mean that that's a I mean that that concept of the multiverse I think is fairly common amongst all of them. They're all basically branch realities based on things that were were different. Okay, so, like, then I guess I don't really have any questions. Like, it seems to make sense to me. Like, again, since the All time right. I was, like, five, this See, is kind of how I thought about See, I thought you had issues with, with how they accessed those multiverses, all those dimensions. You know, one with the sort of nonsense kind of things they had to do, but then also with the sort of Google Glasses, you know, or not Google Glasses, not, uh, earpieces they needed to kind of, access them yeah i don't know it didn't it didn't really bother me at yeah. all well, I, think, I mean it's possible think, you know we're not actually traveling to necessarily to any yeah. of these multiverses she's just able or, or to you, tap you, into you, them yeah or you are slightly traveling to them in that you know you can perceive the universe through that other person your doppelganger yes so to speak yeah it's you basically like well that's basically like body. uh dream walking in multiverse of madness is yeah kind of yeah i mean and yeah, you can kind of control it too a bit. Yeah. Yep. Um, I guess you could argue that the villain and uh, travels a bunch. Um, maybe. Uh, yeah, actually, a good question. I'm not sure if she. I mean. And and I guess we know also, she at least. I guess she at least travels to Evelyn's world. Because she, but she guess, killed yeah. the Evelyn in her world, and then and then she's in. But is this she traveling, world. or is she simply taking over the body in that dimension? Uh, I get, no, actually, right. She is just taking over the body because it is Joy's body. Yeah. So she is just. It, it's, she's more it's like funny a because disembodied it, it, it could spirit be. It, it, it almost it, the way you see stuff happening is extremely almost confusing because mm-hmm. you know stuff will shift like crazy, but like it all seems to stick within the rule. It doesn't one. It doesn't introduce a ton of like different ideas about it you know it's not like there's a million different gadgets and stuff and people are like altering it like it's all very consistent in the rules you know despite how many films will cover multiverse or time travel or teleporting or whatever like this one seems to be very focused in like what happens you know it doesn't drop stuff at the last minute as like a MacGuffin to completely break everything you know or undo all the plot so, Alan. Yes. Which of the verses in Everything All at Once was your favorite? Oh. Um, that was one of my... I, I have two questions for you. That was the first question. Which okay. one was your favorite? Um, you know, the one where... Well, I don't even... What's it called? The one that the one that we begin in would be my favorite. Oh. Okay. Oh, so like the quote-unquote the prime of sorts? Well, I, you can't call it prime, though, right? Because there's well, I mean, alpha. It, so. Yeah, well... Yeah, like whatever it is. In terms of the the audience viewpoint, I guess, because we spend the most time in it. Yeah, Yeah, I you know, honestly, to me, like there was so much that I loved about this movie and there was so much about this movie that made me think about bigger issues or or, um, like topics that I wrestle with a lot as a historian. I, yeah, I just, I didn't get too bogged down, I guess, in the multiversal science of it all. It was a very weird experience for me that way. Yeah, but I mean that I would liked, be that would have been my favorite anyway. Yeah. I liked the one where they were rocks. 
Well, that would be the a what? close second. I mean, it was that just was, it was fun. Yeah, that was especially funny. how it was introduced, where it's just like pure silence. Yep. And then when know, they had the when she like, turned around and had the googly eyes on the rock, I I might have laughed yeah. out loud. Yeah, yeah, but like, yeah, but like, yeah, and also just it's like you know, shh, don't worry about that. Just be a rock, you know. Yeah. And it's like, and, and it, it I don't know. It was just like I I think a lot of us could kind of connect to that idea of like being able to just teleport somewhere where you're just a rock and like there's you know silence in your life for a moment uh, as well. Being a rock would be great, right? Like. But, but also even the Google. I love like all the callbacks and stuff where, you know, you see uh, Evelyn eventually take all the things she hates in her life in the sort of first dimension, you know, and comes to love it. You know, like the googly eyes. She hates it to put everywhere. <clears throat> you know, and then it's like she puts them on herself because that's part of her now. You know, in the rocks or whatever. So then my second question for Alan, which I think I know the answer to this already. Uh, where would you rank the use of the multiverse in this film versus the MCU and Flash? Well, I mean, obviously I... Flash is garbage, so... Yeah, lowest of the low. That can be dismissed, I think, okay. pretty quickly. I, to me, the comparison is an odd one. Like, to me, the the multiverse, the way Marvel uses it, is kind of a gimmick and a special effects driven thing and a mm -hmm. nostalgia driven thing. And I thought like the multiverse here is actually used to explore maybe more profound questions about who we are and why our lives matter. So I, I, this, I think this movie transcends anything that Marvel is kind of doing with, with the multiverse to me. You know, and how uniquely it'll show it, you know, where like the one time in um, Evelyn's fighting our quote-unquote daughter, you know, and, and then they're in that like <clears throat> one dimension where they're like uh, in the trees and they're wearing like the almost trying traditional robes and you just see her like hold out a hand and like warp through like a million different objects and stuff, you know, she's talking about how like everything's just particles or whatever. Like one, it was very almost sort of subtle. It wasn't like a big deal or whatever, but it was also like that idea that if you really truly were connected to the multiverse, like you would just pick, like almost like a video game, you would just pick something to use as a weapon, like in uh, innately, instead of, you know, having to concentrate and like cast a spell and stuff. Like it would just sort of happen. You know, I thought that the use of like the multiverse also seemed to be more natural. Hmm. I hadn't really thought about it, I guess, yeah. in that way. Maybe, I, you know, like... Because well, when you think it, of the MCU, like, you know, again, with Doctor Strange, like, it was, it's, you know, um, um, uh, America Chavez has to cast, like, a portal, and it's a big deal to travel through it, you know, they're being tossed about and stuff, and it's like, you know, you especially when she's a villain, like, she seems so much more powerful because it's like you can't hide from her, you know? And, an inst you know, she, she, she twists her head... And goes through five different dimensions, you know, without even a thought. You know, she can be anywhere or be anything or have anything in her hand at any mo a moment's notice. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Patrick, what's your take on that? On? Like the use of the multiverse. I, I, I kind of like Alan. Um... I think it was more a 
um, device for talking about bigger things that, that ultimately as much as, you know, the, the film was sort of billed as being sort of about this, you know, the, the multiverse and, and Evelyn sort of, of traveling, um, or, or, you know, crossing into it in, in one way or another, um, it seemed to me that ultimately the film was not really about the multiverse. The multiverse was more a device that the film used to talk about bigger issues. Um, yeah. You know, relating, like the... to, relating to issues of, of well, relating to a lot. There, there's any number of things that, that I think, uh, you know, one of the things that struck me about the film is the way that, that um, in terms of the big issues or, or questions that it's sort of asking about is that it works – it works on a number of, of different levels. Uh, I, I, I totally agree, Patrick, this movie. And I don't like, again, I don't want to just bash Marvel, but like, I've been, you know, obviously a little at sea with Marvel for a while waiting for the, you know, them to make that next movie that, that moved me in some way. But this movie at like several points flat out made me want to cry. I thought yeah, it was just, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful story. It was beautiful mm-hmm. cinematography. It had this allegorical power to it. And, you know, yeah. to me, like as much as we might kind of wrestle with like the multiverse and all the superhero kinds of things that sometimes, you know, we have a lot of fun kind of getting sidetracked into. To me, like this was a film that had so much to say about like, what does it mean to be Chinese American or Asian American or an immigrant or really frankly, like what does it mean to be human in in mm-hmm. in really interesting ways? And you know, maybe I loved it a little bit too much that way because I felt I felt like it was very much speaking to me, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I yeah. I, I think that's a good way of describing way, yeah. it. Because yeah, I thought well, I think one of the things is is and again, I think this is essentially saying the same thing, but the film both works allegorically, I think, as you said, Alan, to say some things about the human condition in general. Um, right. But it also works in a lot of specific and concrete ways to talk about immigration and Asian American identity or identities. Um yeah, but that, that's what makes it so powerful in a way mm-hmm. is that it can be very specific and concrete, but it's also universal in a way that that builds a kind of empathy or a sympathy or a like an enhanced desire to better understand experiences that seem so unlike your own, but end up maybe being not as unlike your own as you might imagine them to be. Yeah, like nobody's just no one who's truly evil in the movie when you think about it to a point. Like even uh, the the iOS agent, you know, as the movie goes on, like, you know, they just connect and they realize that like, you know, they're just people, you know, when Evelyn, you know, and even in the, the, the one dimension, as funny as it is with the hot dog fingers things like, you know, they find, you know, sort of true love with that, like. I love that idea. Are you saying that, like, you know, everyone can be connect, like, everyone can kind of be understood, sort of, you know? Well, I think, I think, yeah, and like, there's just there's, I think, so much to unpack in this. This movie is yeah. like it's smart and it's sympathetic and it's moving and it's funny and it's you know beautiful and it's like full of action and it's well choreographed. I just, I gotta, I'll, I'll, I'll say at the front because it's gonna obviously 
lead through to everything I say. I just thought this was a really amazing film on a lot of different levels. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Though I will say there are, there's at least one aspect of the film and and it's kind of where the allegorical and the more uh, literal elements of the film overlap mm-hmm. a bit where where I do have a little bit of a of a concern if not a critique of um what the film is saying that there, yeah. there's there's a little bit that that um I think the, the the allegory I think has some potentially problematic um or I should say the allegory as I see it because we may be talking about different allegories but the yeah the allegory as I see it um there's some ways in which that that what it does I, I has has some potentially problematic elements to it. I I I think that there are and I you know I don't know if we're heading in the same direction or not. I think there are some some criticisms or some concerns at least mm-hmm. to be levied. But do you want to start with what the what we think the film does well and then kind of lead to those problems? Sure. Yeah. Like, that that seems okay. good. So for me, one of the things like as an Asian American historian that I'm always interested in when a show like this, you know, kind of comes across the popular consciousness is the idea of the model minority stereotype mm-hmm. that often has been used to kind of confine and oversimplify the Asian American experience in America. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Hello? I thought you were still going. Oh no. So sorry. At a distance. At a distance. It's hard to. It's hard to. Yeah. To tell. I was just trying to give some space for people to, to jump no, in. So, yeah, no. like the model minority is the idea, of course, that it kind of originates with Japanese Americans in the 1960s, and it's, it comes from a conservative who's writing, um, really, to to criticize African Americans for not having risen in society. And he points to oh, Japanese okay. Americans and he says of Japanese Americans, look at Japanese Americans during World War II. They were thrown into these um, government run concentration camps. And yet they remained faithful in America. And when the war was over and they escaped the camps, they worked hard and they got college educations and they got, you know, professional and, and doctoral educations. And they kind of succeeded in American society. They were climbing economically. They were marrying outside their ethnic group at rates that were much larger than other um, ethnic and racial groups. And so kind of under the guise of praising what Japanese Americans had accomplished, what he was really doing was criticizing all of the other minority groups that hadn't achieved in the same way. And that's problematic. But it's also, of course, further problematic in presenting successful Japanese Americans or successful Asian Americans is thus typical of all Asian Americans. And of course, there's incredible diversity of experience um, and whatnot within the Asian American community as well. And I thought that this movie actually worked in a in a quiet way to kind of dismantle that model minority stereotype, mm. to try to, to present not model minorities that you would typically see Asian Americans portraying, maybe in a mainstream American film, but instead to show real human beings instead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I, well, and I think that, that the point you made about, and I think this might be one of the reasons why the film is particularly effective in these things, um, that a lot of the stuff that it's doing with 
you know, race and identity and things like the model minority. As you said, it's it's very quiet. It's definitely there, um, but it's done in a very subtle and deft way, I would say. Um, and, and in some ways, the, the multiverse is almost kind of serving as, as cover for some of that. That Yeah, um, that's a, that's a it, nice point. It engages with some of these issues of, of like you said, the model minority. Um, you know, because we see, I mean, for, I mean, the first time we see Evelyn in the film is she's sitting at the table with all of her receipts. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, you know, it gives, gives us a sense of just how hard she's working um, right, and and not having that so-called model minority success. Um, right, and in that opening, she's surrounded not only by the paperwork, but kind of like the film is almost jarringly chaotic mm-hmm. as it opens, right? Because she's not just juggling the paperwork. Her father is visiting and he's really yes. judgmental and the ceiling needs painting and the washing machines are broken and somebody's right. drying their sneakers and yeah. she doesn't know where the laundry orders are and she's trying to make food and she's got a daughter who's gay and she's wrestling yep. with that. Like yep. it just it 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 was almost overwhelming to me. And I, I thought yeah. it was really effective in that way and the way it just kind of like it drops you right into the middle of the maelstrom. Right. That is. Mm-hmm. Her life. I, like, I actually so, had to yeah. pause the movie at that point just for a second because I was like, you know, I had to like take a step back. Yeah, I almost yeah. I almost started the movie over a few minutes in because I, I had that same kind of sense of being overwhelmed like you did. Like, like, and I must have a missed lot. a bunch of stuff or something. And I, and I was having trouble following some of it. Um, right. And that's intentional, but, right? Yeah, I, on, on Daniel's part. They, they're making yeah. the movie to make – they want you to feel that. Like that's, the, that's mm-hmm. step one, I think, in building the empathy – that I think they're wanting us to build, but yeah, it's very disorienting. I agree with both of you. Yeah. So I, I and, and I agree. Yeah. That, that, that it's, again, it's, it's one of the things the film does very effectively. Um, yeah. You know, another thing that kind of similar, another thing that I really thought the film did well with, um, you know, as someone who teaches, you know, ethnic American literature and, and does a, a great deal with Asian American. One of the things that we, we very clearly see, in this film is, you know, the struggle with the different generations of that's actually next case, on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is the Chinese yeah. American that, that, that you've got, you know, and again, it's something that's very subtle is you've got, particularly in the early parts of the film, it becomes a little bit more pronounced at the end when you kind of see Evelyn, you know, talking directly to her father about the ways in which that, that, Mm-hmm. She was sort of traumatized by him and then also addressing the ways in which that she sort of, of traumatized Joy. Um, but you've got kind of, you've got, you know, three generations of, of Chinese Americans in there and you've got Joy. Um, Joy in particular stood out to me as, as a very common sort of, of character that we see of, you know, the young Chinese American that's sort of caught between contemporary culture and values and you know the values from her parents um and her parents chinese traditions and values that that she's right. a lot of her struggle seemed to be between those one of the things that, one, one of the things yeah. that the, the the film more and more reminded me of was was maxine hon kingston's woman warrior mm-hmm. there was a lot of like i could see teaching these two works right next to each other yeah. well in and many they ways really do inform yeah, Joy's tattoo is a great example of that. 
I think, mm -hmm. right? Because it's a tattoo that's trying to like capture some sense of her family's history, but mm -hmm. totally alienates her mom. Yeah. So there's like, yeah. like that tension. It's like thinking about Asian American literature, or in my case, Asian American history, or immigration history more broadly, but often mm -hmm. especially Asian American history. It often is defined by generation. Right? Oh yeah. Like we yeah. think about yeah. it in terms of generations, you know. And in this case, I, you know, I think the movie does a wonderful, semi-concrete, but you know, largely allegorical telling of that story. You know, that her father Gong Gong, right is completely distanced from his daughter and her family. And it's not just the physical distance. When he arrives in the United States, he's totally out of place. He can't yeah. speak English. He doesn't understand the culture. He goes to the IRS building, you know, with the family because they kind of have to. And he has no idea what's going on. Like he's mm -hmm. completely out of touch. And so I think thinking about immigration as that kind of, psychic and emotional rupture mm -hmm. is a powerful way of reminding people like we live in a in a, a current place where maybe sympathy for immigrants isn't broadly felt in this country but maybe yeah. understanding those kinds of ruptures is a way of getting people to to think more sympathetically about just what does it mean you know to leave your father or to be left behind by your daughter yeah well, and that, that moment where Evelyn says to her father, you know, how could you, I can't remember the exact line, but, you know, how could you let me go so easily or how could you, you know, abandon right. me so easily? Like, that was heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Like, that, that, that moment Absolutely. was, yeah. again, one of, one of the, for me, probably one of the most powerful moments in the film. Um, and again, you see, again, as we've seen it, it, it again, you know, this film is, is in kind of the same um, camp as, you know, Turning Red as in Kanto, that, that this kind of yeah. intergenerational trauma within, in this case, Chinese Americans, but we've seen it, um, you know, in, in turning red with, 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 uh, other Asian, Canadian, Asian family, we've seen it in Kanto mm -hmm. with a Latino family that we've got this, yeah. this pattern of, of kind of intergenerational trauma that's coming up a lot in, in recent films by, um, ethnic ethnic american uh creators that 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 as yeah. you said it's 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 not unique to chinese and asian american it is really kind of part of the immigration experience and you see it both in the history and the literature um the, yeah. the, the the as you said the rupture um and the kind of trauma that results from the misunderstanding across generations yeah and i think another way that it then functions to kill kind of build maybe potentially a broader empathy is thinking about then the first generation in the States, that would be Evelyn and Waymond in this case, right? Mm -hmm. Who, who come with these dreams of economic and social success, right? But instead, like they come to this idea that like the streets are literally paved with gold. But what they find instead when they get to the States are economic struggles. And certainly, yeah kind of um, economic struggles in the way in which it's so hard to get ahead and the way in which the system hems you in becomes a story that lots of Americans can understand, mm -hmm. right? That that those economic struggles then have consequences, that the marriage isn't working, you know? It's not romantically working the way it used to. There are divorce papers to be signed, you know? And then also showing the parents struggling to understand joy, like to try to understand their daughter I think is again like this 
again, a way in which the very concrete story becomes increasingly universal in the way the story in the way the way in which the film presents it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, and, and and even you know, in some ways, the film I think also engages again very kind of subtly with with some particularly Asian American stereotypes. I mean, obviously, you know, I mean, the entire situation of the family that, that, that they're working a laundromat puts them within, um, kind of that, that, um, yeah, a very stereotypical, um, setting, um, you know, and yet, yeah. And yet Patrick, Evelyn is very much a tiger mom kind of stereotype. That's where I, that's where yeah. I was actually. That's where I was in going some next. Ways, is, right? is Evelyn's a tiger mom, and Waymond is somewhat of that emasculated Asian American male. That that is again a, a perpetual. Like there's a particularly early right. in the film, mm-hmm. um, that there's a kind of way in which that that he comes off as as kind of a, an emasculated figure. Um, no, I, abs- I think at the absolutely I think the true. Film kind of works away away from. I actually read the right. divorce papers differently in that I don't think yeah. Waymond actually wanted to get this paper signed. No, no, I he, think he wanted I saw to. That, he was using well, it basically because that was the only way he could get Evelyn to pay attention to him. Yeah, that's right. Well, the issues well, of but that's, he never intended to get a divorce. But that's that's what I'm saying, right? When yeah. when the divorce papers show up, like it's a, it's a sign that the marriage isn't working. It's yeah. not that Waymond yeah. wants a divorce. But it's the only way that he can try to like, yes, like jolt his his marriage mm-hmm. back to kind of the romantic ideal and you know the mm-hmm. the the familial ideal that he has. But like, it's interesting. Kind of, it takes a bunch of stereotypes and mashes them together because when you think of the tiger mom stereotype, that's usually associated with upwardly mobile, um, mm-hmm. model minority style families. Mm-hmm in the Asian American community. And so it's just, to me, it's interesting because you're right, Patrick, there are all of these stereotypes that oftentimes we would come and we would be deeply critical of, but I think mm-hmm. with each of them, the filmmaker wants us to then take a second look and start unpacking and digging a little bit deeper underneath the surface mm-hmm. to try to see humanity underneath it. Yeah, I, would just, I, I was going to say much the same thing, is, is that even though there are stereotypes recognizable in, in each of the characters, particularly the older generations. Right. Um, the characters are never defined just as the stereotype. Like there are right. elements of Evelyn that are the tiger mom, but she's not just the tiger mom. And, and I think again, it's to the filmmakers credit that as, as I think you were just kind of saying the character's humanity always shines through the stereotypes. Like the, yeah. it's the humanity of the right. characters that I think over again, kind of overwhelms the stereotypes, not the stereotypes overwhelming, um, and the humanity. I think, I think yeah, that's, that's, that's something that, that the filmmakers, another, another thing that the filmmakers, I would say deserve credit for is that they're able to engage with stereotypes without reducing the characters to stereotypes. Well, and in a way that works really well to shatter the stereotypes because yes, if like you're you're drawn in, you're like, oh, it's a tiger mom and emasculated dad, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, like within ten minutes, you're like, you, you start to realize, whoa, like they're way more mm-hmm. than this superficial understanding that perhaps yeah. society and history and literature have too often encouraged us to have about yeah. these people. 
Well, and I think the chaos at the beginning kind of feeds into that because you're you're struggling right. so much to keep up with what's going on that you can't help but see these characters and their lives as multifaceted and, and complex as opposed to, you know, reductive and simplified. Like, I think that's a, that's another effective right. bit of the opening is that you're kind of having to grapple with, with them and their situation um, in ways that, that, that also, I think, allows them to transcend... Uh, to transcend stereotypes, even as the film engages with them, there's a there's a great tension there. I think that mm-hmm. that that works, you know. And then to finish the the generational real quick, I think Joy, as you I think mentioned earlier, Patrick, makes loads of sense as a second generation or first generation born in the United States. Oh yeah, kind of character trying to figure out, like trying to make her way, trying to figure mm-hmm. out, like just exactly. She's in this liminal space between immigrant and American. Mm-hmm. And like, how do I make that work? And I'm also being pushed by my parents in certain ways. And there's all these expectations being loaded on me. Well, I thought one of the really great moments in the film is when Evelyn is kind of like piecing things together. She initially blames Jobu for all of what she sees as Joy's bad choices. Mm-hmm. You know, Joy has chosen yeah, to be she gay. To get, this monster Joy has, she has to get out right, of her. Yeah. Right. Like, like it's the monster that has caused her daughter's queerness. It's the monster that caused her daughter to quit college. It's the monster that convinced her daughter to get the tattoo. I mean, she eventually learns like differently. Like the, the lesson mm-hmm. does settle in for her. But I thought it was a very real and human moment where she immediately doesn't want to blame herself. Right. Or the situation into which she's kind of brought her daughter, but instead wants to kind of find some external source to blame yeah yeah so that brings me um to a fair or foul patrick that i wanted to drop in oh. a little early because it's okay. about kind of um evelyn and her story and i think a lot of what we've been talking about so maybe this will just confirm it but i'm, I'm interested to what you think so this is this is from ben travis at empire and okay, he's writing about okay. okay he's writing about evelyn he says quote there is a specificity in her story but there is universality in the way in which she feels, overwhelmed by her life, consumed by everything, everywhere, all at once. She has a business to run, taxes to file, customers to please, a father to live up to, a husband to argue with, and most importantly, a daughter that she increasingly cannot relate to. So I'm specifically interested in your response to the idea of the specificity and the universality. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I absolutely agree. Um, and again, it's, it's part of why this film, um, it's just a really well done film is, is as we talked about that, 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 like so much of the film works on those levels of universality and, and specificity, um, with, with all of the characters that then, and yeah, there is something that, and again, you, you can kind of, again, it's, it's, it's. Even though the show or the film is dressed up in a lot of trappings of Chinese American, Asian American, immigrant American um, existence, mm-hmm. Evelyn is also recognizably a mom. Um, right, and so yeah, the feeling, and so the and so the feelings that she's going through with her daughter, um, you know they can be engaged with on the level of, as we've been talking about, kind of within 
between the the generations of Asian American moms and daughters, but also I think works on the level of moms and daughters generally. Um, and and the way that it were again, I think the universality and the specificity kind of work together in that the universality of some of what the film deals with sort of masks some of the specificity that mm-hmm. would have a lot of people basically, you know, that would have a lot of people say, oh, this is just another, you know, this film's another example of wokeness, you know, oh, everything's bad in America if you're not white, all those, like, it, it, it Another didactic to, lesson from Hollywood. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. I think it, yeah. it does a very good job, um, I think, um, of using kind of, of universal aspects of particularly relationships and situations in the film um to uh but that that that, all, that also allows them to talk about things very specific to Asian and Asian American experience um right and so again it's it, it's something that I think the again yeah the film yeah, the, I think the the description there um in what you read I think is is uh it, it might be one of the most fair things you've ever brought to to the show Wow I usually do try to bring something that'll that will trip you up. But, but you know, another way that, that the specific and the universal work, I mean, Rich talked about the IRS a bit. Like the yeah. IRS kind of functions this way, the same way, right? Like we can think about it as just like this impenetrable enemy. We all understand that. But the IRS in this film is also kind of like the system, right? It's yeah. a system that confronts uncomprehending immigrants with a set of rules and regulations and language Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, impenetrable yeah. for them. It's uncaring. It's indifferent. It just, it, it could not care less about yeah. the and people that was one of the things I liked up in it. About the way the film ended. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I don't know if you, are you I don't know. What struck me at the end is when um, uh, Deidre was the IRS agent's name, right? Oh, uh, wow. yes. When yeah. she said, she says something to, to Wayman about, uh, well, it's really great you've listened to me, but you've also not listened to me. And then starts yes. to complain about, like, here's the next thing you have to do. And I was like, right. the the kind of, the way in which that, that bureaucracy and that insensitivity of the system um, remains. That, that It's, it's, it's going like to grind every, on. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to, like, like, none of that has really changed. Like, they've got, they've, they've made a slight bit of headway. Yeah. Um, but kind of the right. way in which that that the system still remains um, in place. Like in, I want to say yeah. I don't want to say untroubled because yeah. it is troubled in the way that it is still right. there and largely unchanging. But that that was a moment that I was like that that I another moment that I really a very specific yeah. moment in the film that I thought worked really well. I'm like, yeah, that is exactly how the system works. That 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 they are. You know, they've eked out maybe just a tiny little bit more than right. they had, but they're still in a system that is that is kind of stacked against them and and you know working ag- and working against them with with its rules on bureaucracy. Because that that line about you've listened to me and not listened to me, I was yeah. like, yeah, that that sums up the system. It's um, like going to the DMV, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think yeah. it's another wise choice because I mean, who doesn't hate the IRS? Uh, right. And I say that exactly. as someone whose dad worked for the IRS for 35 years, you know, <laughs> that, that, it, it, you know a, yeah. a universal hatred of the IRS is another thing that this film uh, plays on very successfully. Because, you know, again, 
we all would feel that way during an audit. It's not that this is unique to um, Evelyn and her family. There are ways in which that the situation with the IRS does reflect uniquely on their experience as Asian Americans, but it also works really well because no one wants to be audited by the IRS and no one imagines that being a pleasant pleasant possibility. And we probably all would imagine wanting to punch one in the face. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That example at the end is really important to me because I think one of the dangers of this film is that it ends with like too happy an ending. That that's where I that's where I my my critique of the allegory comes into that somewhat. Yeah, and I think that's if I have a complaint, it's that the film runs that risk and I'm not sure that Jamie Lee Curtis saying, Hey, you listened but you didn't kind of like leaves enough of reality that's confronting them in it. But just a quick shout out, like Jamie Lee Curtis is, oh yeah, pretty excellent in this film, right? To me, yeah, she's I taken mean, kind of like everyone's the, excellent uh, in this film. Like I, no, that, I, right. I, I yes. would not, but yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis does a great job as as the IRS. Speaking of someone, you know, my dad was a collection agent for thirty five years. Yeah, you know, at the IRS, he retired when they want to put him in charge of collection and audit. I'm like, oh my god, like could they give you the two <laughs> worst things to do? Because um, literally, that's yeah. why he retired. He was like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to be in charge of those two things. I'm like, who would? No, um, well, you know who but, would? Yeah, I, Jamie Lee Jamie Curtis, Curtis like, yeah, who's like channeling. Yeah, that, that and I say this, Jamie Lee Curtis, yeah, yeah. yeah. not well, the character. Well, because to me, she's really channeling. Scream Queens energy, like Scream Queens one, like season one energy, oh. you know, like yeah, she's just slightly, she's having, slightly more nuanced and subtle than Scream Queens. Yeah, but she's <laughs> but she's having so much freaking fun in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it's just like I her mean, performance if I were is, Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis and where I am in my career, like I would only be doing stuff that's fun. Like what what else yeah. is there to do at this point if you're Jamie right. Lee Curtis? Like yeah, you, who cares you had, about money at this point? You've yeah, had that's... a career like do stuff that's fun. Yeah. No, absolutely. You know, do do action scenes where you're still in like a, a knit sweater, jumping, you yeah. know, off of stairs or whatever. That's yeah. a great moment. It's just a, it's a great moment that makes it feel like that action adventure film, but just serves to kind of disguise and add some humor yeah. to, yeah. I think, the more profound questions. Yeah. Well, and, and, and the absurdity with. of the film. Yes. Yeah. Pursuit yeah. of more profound questions. The other thing it reminded me a lot of was "Sorry to Bother You," in in the kind it, of there's the, no the absurdist elements. There's no mm-hmm. way I think not to make that comparison. Like I, mm-hmm. as I was watching, as I was writing notes several times, I it, it's it films that are using the same kinds of techniques. I think. Mm-hmm. Yes. To to get after bigger issues, but the IRS is also great. Real quickly, just because I don't want to forget this point because of the way it uses language, right? It's not just the English language that kind of trips up um, Evelyn and Wayman, but when they get mm. in that building and it's like all the technical language that they're trying mm. to to digest, especially without Joy, who is the only person that has any hope of kind of translating yes. what's actually happening, yes. is I think another moment where you can't help but sympathize with people who are mm. caught in such a ridiculous and, you know, um, in a way, violent system. Yeah, well, and it's another way that it, it very clearly positions joy between the different cultures. Like, she's right. the one that has to translate for her parents what the, you know, American culture, the American institution is is saying. And, and, and the way in which that means joy has to kind of understand that bureaucratic language, which is completely foreign to her as well. 
Right. Um, but it, it, yeah, it's another moment that kind of captures the, the way in which that Joy, you know, very ironically named, is sort of trapped in between worlds. Right. If it's, if it's not too much in a uh, movie about the multiverse to, to call them worlds. Right. Well, but I, what a great metaphor, right? Like yeah. instead of worrying about the multi, you know, the the worlds that we're like mm-hmm. dissecting on in the on the MCU big screen, like mm-hmm. let's worry about the worlds that actually exist in the world in which we live. Yeah. And yeah. to me, another way it does that, Patrick, is code switching, which we talked about a little mm-hmm. bit with the Miss Marvel um, mm-hmm. show on Disney Plus, right? We both thought it worked pretty well there; it felt organic. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought this was like Miss Marvel, but on steroids in a good way. Oh, there particularly was, at the beginning of the film. The code yeah, switching at the beginning of the film. I was like, I mean, because number one, I think when it first started, it gave me the option of doing subtitles. Right. And I didn't do the subtitles. But then I was very happy that it still had the subtitles. Because that, that first conversation between Evelyn right. and Waymond, right. where they're literally going back and forth in the middle of sentences between yeah. Chinese and English. Like that, I mean, that was the code switching was another thing that adds to the chaos but was again something that i that that felt very organic to the characters yeah it felt real and specific and also universal right because the way in which those languages kind of bleed into each other and clash against each other sometimes literally in the same sentence yeah i think really captures a sense of the the rupture that we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. or kind of the disjuncture between china and america between american society and the chinese american home like within the Chinese American family, I just thought the code switching was a brilliant way to kind of capture kind of the conflicting identities and outlooks that exist for a Chinese American or an immigrant family. Well, and along the same lines, you know, the point you just made about the Chinese American home, you know, we kind of think of and and maybe sort of see represented in film and literature, you know, the Chinese American home as a, a kind of space or an enclave sort of separate from, you know, the American society that it's in. Right. Yeah, that's a and great here, point. And here we see that, that the Chinese American home is, is no um, safe space. Like it, it's been as per, I mean, you know, the receipts on the table, the language that they're having to use, they're talking about yep. the IRS stuff. So they're having to use that kind of language. Um, that the customers they is, have to deal with, yeah, yeah. Their their home is not that that kind of a refuge. Their their home is as um, penetrated <laughs> by you know the American culture that they're in. That 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 just makes Joy's role as translator, um, you know, even more interesting. Because even when I mean, even when Joy's not there, we see them in the home having to still negotiate between cultures. Right and 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 sort right. of adding to the 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 everything that is in their lives. Right, and you understand as a consequence why Joy dropped out of college, mm-hmm. and how difficult it is for a kid, you know, or you know, a young woman in that situation to have to juggle all that she's juggling on top of mm-hmm. the everyday stuff that people are juggling. Mm-hmm. And so it adds up to this world in which Evelyn can be a brilliant woman in some ways, but be a failing businesswoman where she can be a loving mother, but also a mother who really struggles to express it in an effective way to her daughter. And and a loving mother, but also a mother who traumatizes her daughter. Right. Yeah. Um, Because there's that scene at the beginning where you, you know, she wants to say something else to joy, 
but what she says is is you know you're getting fat or or something to that effect and you know that right. there was something else she was going to say and couldn't say it right right no i i think absolutely and that kind of bleeds into the philosophical debate between jobu and evelyn in some ways right that what Jobu thinks she's learned, what she's experienced, everything is that nothing matters, right? That humanity is just, as she puts it, small and stupid. Mm-hmm. And that Evelyn responds eventually kind of with Wayman's like guidance in a way. Mm-hmm. That like amidst all of the smallness and the stupidity, it's 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 kindness. Mm-hmm. It's it's understanding that we're all together in it, right? That makes the difference. Yeah, though that's that's the place where I start to see some cracks yeah. in yeah. what the film is doing. Because because I, I I would actually there you know there's actually th- um, I agree with you on Joy and Wayman that they kind of represent you know that Joy is is despair in the face of right you know how how nothing matters and and Wayman is you know kindness um, right. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 on a very kind of general philosophical level, I re I I found in the same way that when I watched Soul, um, I w- I mm-hmm. kind of had a a like the message of that film. I I had a profound fe- effect on me, um, and kind of made me start rethinking things. Yeah. The the, the general idea of you know. It's important to remain kind, even in the face of all the the shit that you have to deal with. Yeah, that worked really well for me. Um, mm-hmm. It's when you start to think about that within the context of um, Asian American experience, because the the third yes. pole, the third point on that continuum, is Evelyn for much of the film, which is fighting, which is war, which is which is violence. Right. Yes, um, and on the philosophical level, you know, Evelyn kind of embracing kindness over fighting, mm-hmm. um, totally get. Right. Or fighting with kindness. Yeah. 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 But as a politics, the idea of yeah. Asian Americans, not the film kind of, of advocating a not fighting or not struggling against the system not you know don't despair yeah. don't fight and, and and ends with with kind of this idea of kindness that felt a little kind of politically empty to me like it's 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 yeah. you know be nice to others as you're being ground down by the system don't fight the system that that was where i felt like the message yeah. of the film got a little bit mixed because I'm like, no, you you need to fight against the system as well. well like there, there's yeah, there's different I, kinds of fighting. So that that was where I I felt the film kind of of uh, you know not not in a way that that ruined the film for me or anything, but was a yeah. spot where I was just like, yeah, I just you know I get what they were going for on kind of a as you said, kind of a philosophical or allegorical level. Yeah, but on the the level of the reality of the film and Asian American experience, I was kind of like, ah, I don't know if that message works so, for me. So let me let me respond to that by saying that I I have a huge blind spot here, um, in part revealed by the tattoo that I have on my arm, right, which is the King's X song, "We Were Born yeah. to Be Loved," right, which I which I think is the fundamental truth of life is that mm-hmm. like every one of us was born. To be loved. And that comes out of, you know, my Quaker faith and my pacifism. And so 
as you can imagine, Patrick, like the idea of, in, in some ways, I think Waymond presents a pacifist position. But here's here's the best I can do to argue against where you're coming from. Um, being a pacifist, or you know, maybe maybe the translation to kindness. Maybe I'm reading too much of my own personal experience. In, but being a pacifist doesn't mean not fighting. It means resisting in certain kinds of ways against injustice. And in some ways, you might argue that Evelyn. Or let me try to make the argument at the end of the film. Evelyn hasn't adopted Wayman's approach because Wayman just makes cookies for people, you know, in hopes that that's gonna gonna fix things. But she's no longer just fighting with violence as before, but she's fighting by kind of giving people um, closure or what they need, right? By treating yeah, like a them with people want that actually helps them in a way, as right? Opposed right. To like so forgetting so she, the issues, dealing with the issues. Yeah, like like. Like the resistance doesn't have to be physical, and in fact, you know, my philosophical position in life is that 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 physical resistance inevitably falls short of what needs to be achieved to actually build something better. Which isn't to say you don't fight back, but it's about finding different ways to resist. And could I make the argument that by the end, Evelyn has found a different way to fight? It's not that, she, that the movie is saying don't fight the movie's saying find more effective ways to resist because again you could argue that when she fights quote unquote with kindness at the end <clears throat> you know nobody's attacking her anymore but no one's dead either no one's injured right and again you know? I, so like I, it gets the same result without hurting people in a sense yeah, and I again, like I understand that I'm presenting this position like not as a history professor, but as like, like a human being with a set of yeah. of um, religious beliefs about the world. But it, does my argument make any sense at all, Patrick? Or do you remain? Yeah, no, no, I, I no, I, I, it does make sense. I think the issue, and and you know, I, I absolutely see what you're saying. You know, and, and, and as Rich just brought up, you know, when she's defeating you know gogo's army by as you said sort of giving them what they want yeah, um, or what they need yeah or what they need yeah, yeah I, I i see all of that um my issue is translating that into yes uh and maybe this is a better way of, of phrasing is is yeah. that all makes sense within the struggle against uh you know jobu Tapaki and and all of that um yeah. But I don't know that that translates to the situation uh, within American society because – and again, this is maybe where, you know, what I just praised the film for is also where it mm. runs into trouble that, you know, we end up almost exactly where we began with them in the right. IRS office. Deidre yeah. is only talking to Waymond – uh, Evelyn is 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 daydreaming again, and then is sort of brought back to reality, and we kind of end up with that situation in you know where where we're back to Waymond and you know making people cookies and being nice and being yeah. kind. No, and I, so I, I don't yeah. know that the the film and and maybe it's just, it's just a place that the film doesn't go is I don't know yeah. Yeah. I don't know that within the re, the the lived reality of the characters it gives us the equivalent. Of yeah. 
the alternative that's very clearly there within like it doesn't give us the equivalent of you know evelyn giving them what they need um to defeat gogo it doesn't really give us the equivalent maybe it can't but it doesn't really give us an equivalent of that within the lived experience and and so that's where i'm kind of like you know so in the end for me i'm kind of left with yes that's a really that's a really nice and that message of kindness but, is exactly what I identify with at the, as the film. Right. But it's one thing for the film to work on that level for me as, and again, to, to, to make it as, as a white middle-class, you know, yeah. man. Um, but I don't know that it as clearly offers an alternative for um, the Asian Americans in the film yeah. and thus well, what they represent. So I, I, yeah, I, I absolutely agree I say, with you that, that, yeah. that, that, that that's there in the metaphor. I don't know that we get it in the reality of, of the film. And I, I maybe, yeah. it, maybe well, part of the issue is that you can't because there, I mean, how do you actually represent what the alternative is within the, the, the reality of the characters? Maybe it's just a place where, you know, it, it, it's something that's just kind of impossible to imagine. But yeah, no, I, well, I, but, I, but, I, I see Patrick, exactly what you're going for, Alan. But. Just real quickly, like, because it's the imagination you just said that I think is really important. I think what the film leaves us with is this allegorical answer that you're right, doesn't exist in the real world, right? Like, even if we step outside of the character world of the movie, it doesn't exist in the world in which we live. Mm-hmm. But then the film can be understood as a call to use our imaginations to do something different. Like the film could be saying, like, it's kind of like when we talked about In the Heights, you talked about the way in which like this this very vibrant community was cut off from everything else, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe the film is saying, I, I want to believe that the filmmakers are saying, okay, like we can't end with a perfectly happy ending. And it's impossible, right? Because even in the allegory, Evelyn has a level of power that Asian Americans don't have in American society, right? right? They don't have that power to leverage. But if the film's not made just for Asian Americans, but it's made for all of us, collectively, maybe we do have the power if we would choose to imagine a better way of building the world and changing Mm -hmm. the world to, to do something different. But again, I know this is like very airy and idealistic but you know, like you're more the realist in this, you know, of of the two of us, and I'm more the guy that continues to want to dream something different sometimes. Yeah, no, well, I, well, and, and I think what I what I would like is I, you know, I, and part of it too is, is I think again, it, it's the way that the film ends mm-hmm. with everything kind of back in a way, everything's kind of back to how it was, and I, you know, even right. even kind of the Evelyn daydreaming and then coming back to reality and saying, oh no, I was paying attention. I For wish sure. maybe there was something a little bit different there, like something that had showed yeah. a change in Evelyn or or even just it's not Deidre talking to Waymond again. It's Deidre talking to Evelyn. Like if there was some yeah. or joy yeah. even little change that suggested, yeah. you know, that, I think- that, 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 that Evelyn, that, that things were a little bit different. So, I, you know, and, and maybe I'm just being completely unfair because I'm also saying, you know, the fact that nothing changed <laughs> at the end, I also liked. So maybe I'm just being completely unfair to the film. And well, no, I think, it to, and expecting it to do everything. I, I absolutely see what you're saying, Alan. Is, is, you know, the the call for the the call for us to kind of imagine more. I maybe wish that 
the call itself was maybe a little bit more concrete and maybe just giving yeah. us a, a, a tiny bit more of like an indication that that particularly Evel, Evelyn's um, positioning within the system or, or how she's responding to being within the system has changed because it seemed a right. little bit too much the same as she's always been. Well, then let me pitch in, a different. Yeah. Let me pitch a different reading of it to you then that it's not a call that the filmmakers are making that the filmmakers are trapped like the rest of us are in not allowing ourselves or not having the imagination to do something different. Look, if the movie then ended, that makes it a very, and, it makes it so much more depressing a film than I want it to be. Well, well, you it, could even argue the, that the, at the, the depression can lead us to optimism. Sorry, Rich, go ahead. No, no. I was saying you could even argue at the end when she's like distracted, it's a foreshadowing that, you know, this life, because they even say sort of like, like, or Joy even says, you know, there's so much happening in your head and whatnot. There's only going to be brief bits of like calm that when she's distracted and hearing all the stuff, that's that foreshadowing of her, you know, realizing that she's only going to have moments in her life that she can be present because she's going to be constantly hearing all of the other universes happening. Oh, that's super depressing to me. Well, you know, say, like, yeah, that's, that's, the, yeah, that's not, that's, that's not what me, I thought they were implying to me, with that was that. To me, I think like, well, I, I, I guess, yeah, the lesson that the filmmakers want you to walk away with is something quite different, right? Which is that we do live in this infinite universe and we are seemingly completely small to the point of mm -hmm. insignificance, but that we still make meaning out of the moments in our lives. And we do that, I think the film argues, by building relationships, right? Like the one of my favorite quotes in the film is, is, is when somebody says, like, we're all useless alone. You know, being so small and so isolated, like being alone is is to be nothing. Like there's that moment yeah. where the mother and daughter hug at the end and it's juxtaposed to planets colliding, mm -hmm. which to me was like, like that's where I could have cried. It's such a commentary yeah. on parenthood and how yeah. hard it is, but also well, me, the way was, in which the... even like the smallest moments yeah. are well, that was powerful the beauty of the, of, the, of the rocks of the rock dimension with me was. Right. I mean, again, yeah. it, it, it's it's about as absurdist as the film gets. But just the idea true. of yeah. when she turns around with the googly eyes and she's like, oh, "I'm going to come get you." I'm like, "What? Like, yeah. what's going on here?" And then when she. You know, Joy Rock rolls off the ground and or off the cliff, and then she rolled like yeah. that was that was another beautiful moment. And yeah, and yeah, I mean, yeah. there is that difference in that we do kind of see the family, I guess, more united at the end, um, right? Which is good. Uh, but yeah, just it's, it's there's you know the the idea of you know the fighting with kindness, you know. That works for me, you know, that works on the level of metaphor. I don't know, and, and maybe I have to go back and watch the film again. I don't know what that looks like in the reality of the characters' lives. And I, I wish right. there was something in the film that it, maybe just a little bit more. And, and again, maybe it, it's it's too hard to imagine. Um, but right. I kind of well, wish maybe, there was yeah. something, that's that's, something a little bit more. But That's where but again, I wish we the movie would that, push us, Patrick, is, is not to say... What does it look like in the film? What we ought to be asking is, what does it look like in our lived experience? Like, what does it yeah. look like in the world in which we live? And as Americans who have this preponderance of power in, in, in the world, right? Or as white Americans who have this preponderance of power within the United States, 
it is, I think, you know, a, a moral imperative that we do that. That, that, and it's hard, like what you're saying, you're absolutely right, Patrick. Imagining that is really hard, yeah. but it doesn't mean we, we, we ought not try to do it. I, to me, the way it ju- the film juxtaposes absurdity, like um, Rakakuni. Oh my God, that was my second favorite. That was my second favorite. I'm, like when yeah. she said Rakakuni, I'm like, what? I'm like, what is that? And then when the raccoon shows yeah. up, I'm like, oh my God, like we're actually oh, yeah, doing right. Ratatouille with a raccoon. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Oh and, my God. But the the way in which the the movie juxtaposes absurdity and yeah, like a search for truth, just mm-hmm. made it all the more resonant with me. Yeah, it did. I mean, again, I again, if I'm if I'm putting on my my critical hat, yes, please. Um, you know, <laughs> it's much easier to imagine the absurdity than what that absurdity translates into reality. Yeah, and what does that say about who we are? And how we're frittering away, you yeah. know, the short experiences we have on this planet. Yeah. And, and, and let me be clear. Like, you know, this is not an aspect yeah. of the film that ruined it for me. I, I get oh, it. No. it. It is It is a brilliant film. And it, it succeeds on so many levels. This, this oh, is such a good movie. It is. Like, and it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's one of the best movies I've seen. Um, it's just that, you know, when when I start to think, and again, like I said, I, I really liked the sort of, as you said, the kind of philosophical, moral kind of point about, um, you know, the importance of, of being kind, um, you know, even if, even if nothing matters, um, and even if right. more things are going to happen and be discovered to make us feel like we matter even less, um, <laughs> that, that the kindness matters like that, that again, that's a yeah. message that, that, that very powerfully resonated, um, with me and and there there's so much this again I again I, I think and, and I think you'd agree Alan there, you know there's so much of this film that resonates with us both professionally and mm-hmm. personally um, like it works both on kind of these levels of you know the kinds of things that we've dedicated our lives to studying but also to just who we are as people yeah I don't um, think we're as far apart as you know it might seem. Yeah, no. I, again, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not saying. You know, I'm not saying this is where the you know the film completely falls apart and it's a disaster because of this. It's it's right. You know, well, it's 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 a small kind of blind spot in the film for me. It runs the risk of too happy an ending, and I I yeah. can't I can't disagree with you. I mean, all the or arguments not, I just or, made or to try to reclaim tra- it. Yeah. In terms of oh, sorry, translating what the film has done into real action. Um. You know, I, I would have liked to have seen more of that translation be in the film, or at least hint at it, rather than leaving it all to. Because my fear is is that without seeing something like it in in the real world of the film or the story world of the film, I should say, right, it there makes it that much bigger a leap to connect that story world and what it's saying to our world. Like there, there, there's yeah. a little bit. I just just seeing a little bit more of a bridge. I think is what I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, and to me that that lack of a bridge is is a really important commentary of how little effort we've given yeah. to imagining something different. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, I can see that as well. That yeah, it does kind of speak yeah. to you know again, and it may be unfair to to tell these filmmakers, you know, why didn't you figure out what to do when when we haven't figured out what to do? <laughs> right, right. It's the argument I made about the Marvel and DC cinematic universes in 9-11 and the war on terror, right? Like if, if we're going to watch those movies to give us the solution, 
I thought that was about find. the crimes of the Bush administration. Oh, no, that was Dark Knight. That was Dark Knight. Well, that the crimes of the Bush administration are a part of that essay, <laughs> but not, not the subtotal of it. But, like, I end by saying kind of what you're saying, which is, I mean, if we're waiting for them to tell us how to fix our problems, they're not going to, right? Like, our movies yeah. aren't going to fix them for us. Art like this can can highlight problems and demonstrate problems and help us think through possible solutions but ultimately, like, no movie is going to fix race relations in this country. Like, we but, need to then pick up that, the, the movie yeah. and do something about it in the world in which we live. Yeah, I, and it's possible that everything, everywhere, all at once took us about as far along that path as, as it could. I, I think, sadly, that might be true. But yeah. I, I also, if I had any criticism, it, it's like the danger of this film is that the ending is a little too happy. Mm-hmm. You, or not happy enough. It's just too pat, maybe. Yeah, you know, as that, they sit kind of, in that yeah. office. Yeah, that, I agree. That, and that's kind of my the whole be kind yeah. is a bit too pat of an answer. It to, is. I agree. To particularly to the real, I, you know, I get it within the, you know, if your options are are despair or violence, then then yes, be kind is is a good answer. Um, right. But it, it it's a bit too pat of an answer when you move from that very sort of of allegorical and 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 absurdist element of the film to the reality of of the yeah. film um, and that's but that's that's kind of our fundamental problem today in the world in which we live not the story world yeah. but in our world you know is like the answers are all too pat and it, you know the the work is hard to try to to imagine something different yeah. anyway it, this movie, like as much as I enjoyed Licorice Pizza, and I probably talked too much on this podcast about how much I really enjoyed. Uh, I did not like Licorice Pizza. Hmm. Uh, well, at least we agree on this one. Like this is, yes. this is. They're both films that are trying to do something. I think different. They're both films that are. And given given what we've been kind of slogging through in the MCU, and God knows, I guess yeah. She Hulk is coming. Soon enough, oh, right? The reviews, like this, the early reviews on She-Hulk have been overwhelmingly positive. So I, 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 I saw the same that people think it's pretty funny and well made. So it's yeah, let's, so let's cautiously hope. optimistic that it's going to be that we're going to have that. We're going to have Wakanda forever, and Phase Four is going to end on a good note. But there still is something about a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once yeah. that's that's puts it in a different category. Yeah, like the the Marvel films, and it's okay, you know, that Marvel wants to make more broadly popular films. I love the ambition here to make a film that has all the hallmarks of multiverses and you know beautifully choreographed kung fu sequences and like all the action adventure stuff we expect. And then you get in the theater and you're like, holy shit! Like this is about something very, very different. Well, and, and there is at least a a kind of tangential connection between this film and the Marvel universe in that the oh, Russo no. brothers are the one that that paid to right. produce this film. Yeah. Um yeah. You know, and 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 that and and yeah, I mean I, and and kind of looking at I I kind of did a little bit of digging into A24, the studio behind the film. Right. Um Yeah, they the stuff some... they the stuff they've done is impressive. Like they're behind Ladybird, yeah. they're behind Ex Machina. They're behind yeah. the Green Knight. Yeah. They're behind Midsomar. They're behind Moonlight, and they're behind this. Like it's an incredible. Yeah. No, when A twenty four pops up on the screen, like you generally know. Like that's a yeah. Th- yeah. I you know this was. I think this might be the first A twenty four film I've seen. Um, you didn't see Ladybird? 
No, I didn't see Lady Bird. I didn't see Ex Machina. No, you I didn't see Ex Machina? Wow. See, I didn't think Ex Machina was that good. I know. It show, Ex Machina, it shows, I think it's on HBO Max now. It's like, oh, I should watch that. Uh, but then Patrick didn't see it. Yeah, it just no. it seems like a movie that's very much in your wheelhouse. That's a. That's I mean, a yes, I agree. Surprise to me. Yeah. yeah. No, I just I didn't. Yeah, I just I it, it kind of was uh you know under the radar. Yeah. Um, for me, but yeah, like the, I mean, a twenty four, and again, I, everything all at once is is their highest grossing film. Not that numbers matter. Um, but you know, <laughs> it's 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 nice to see the film finding, um a great deal of success uh, and a film that very much deserves, you know, the, the success and the accolades. Absolutely. Um, I, when it came got... to the theaters, I knew I wanted to see it. And then, yeah, I you know, the spring semester was not a good semester. Yeah. And, well, and, and also COVID and, and, right. you know, there's just it, lots of reasons. Yeah. Right. It just didn't happen. And you, you yeah. said, Patrick, like we should do this for the podcast. And I'm so glad you did because otherwise I don't know when I would have gotten to this movie. And it yeah. just like it, it refreshes my faith in cinema and even mm-hmm. like popular cinema, right? Like this is a movie that's made some money. Yeah, yeah. Actually, this isn't some indie feature to, that just right. like you know some people talk as a cult classic or something. Like yeah, right. no, it, 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 yeah, it's it, got a lot cinema, of Oscar buzz. And, yeah, popular cinema can do more than just entertain. I mean, yeah. the entertainment part is important, obviously, yeah. but it can do more than just that. Like it can yeah. really push us to think about the world mm-hmm. in more complicated ways and have maybe some conversations that we really ought to be having. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of which, I know we've gone a bit uh, long, but what were the opinions of the visual effects in general compared to like, cause we, we could make comparisons into Marvel and MCU and stuff. I love the visual effects. I yeah, loved, I thought, yeah, um, I, I thought, yeah. A lot of the, the moments like where they flash one image over another, over another, over, over I, I just thought, it it felt sometimes to me like a seventies art film. I just I there was nothing yeah, about this film, Rich, that I didn't just. Do you frankly, want to guess kind of how adore. many people were involved in making the effects? Well, that seems like a very odd question. So it's got to be a low number, right? That's uh, yeah. I'm yeah. thinking this is one. Of, this is another one of the the Amazon little factoids that I I, I got. I'm going to say it, eight. I don't know. I'm going to say ten. Uh, you are double the amount, Patrick. Wow, I was gonna say five. Wow. Damn it! Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. It was one of the the. the um, you tried to apparently... prices right me there. I did. Yeah. I did. I should have done a dollar. Uh, what was... Damn it! Why did um... I do a dollar? <laughs> uh, hang on, because I, I was just reading. Oh, so the, this is uh, the director made Swiss Army Man. Um, yes. Yeah. And he had said when well, he worked. Also, that I he think didn't... aren't they also the ones behind Crazy Rich Asians? Yes. yes. Yeah. But like he had said, he had hated working with a production house like. Do, do, do the effects or whatever because mm. it was so impersonal so yeah. it was like came in like I, again I, I think it said like five people did almost 80 percent of the visual effects shots well to but, me a lot of a lot of the effects were also not special effects but they were the way in which the camera was used yeah. and turned well, on and, and that's what off. they talked about is that they ended up and doing shot, a lot of like, was, practical stuff that was then yeah enhanced with like right. certain things and whatnot so when i yeah. say it feels like a 70s art house kind of film in some ways mm-hmm. like there's a reason for that because yeah. they're not, they're not so, and maybe, maybe in a way that makes the film feel more human too. Like, well, again, I loved it that there was so much of it that felt grounded and physical and like, you know, again, you were talking Kenobi. about, yeah. but you, yeah. well, you were talking about with, um, uh, 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 Shang-Chi and like a bunch of the Marvel movies where at the end it's two CGI monsters just fighting. 
it and overwhelms like, the humanity. Yeah. 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 It's like what? It's just it's too. It's just mm-hmm. an empty space where they're gonna put you know computer effects. Whereas with this one, it's like stuff's happening and then it's enhanced by the effects, makes it look so much like you said grounded mm-hmm. and right. f- uh, physical. Yeah. Yeah. I also uh, do want to give a quick shout yeah. out to yeah. uh, K. Kwan. Um, oh, I, you would, right? I would. And sort of his his return to this film because his story, you know, to, well, his return to acting with this film because his story right. is, you know. Uh, you know, uh, uh, heartbreaking in a lot of ways because you know he had he had you know he was short round in Indiana Jones Temple of Doom. Oh, that's and then right. he, and then he was in Goonies and then you know he found himself just getting cast for stereotypical role after stereotypical role and so he moved yeah. to behind the camera. Right. Um, and it wasn't until Crazy Rich Asians and he saw that in the theaters that that's what got him back going back into acting was that finally there were roles for Asian Americans and so. You know, seeing him, you know, back on screen and doing such a great job, um, and and you know, like and and, 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 that's, and that's uh Wayman, and having right? to switch between so many yeah. different characters, uh, yeah. just like Michelle yeah, no, like just, it was it was nice yeah. to see. That was another kind of a nice little of uh, element of the film. It was like, oh, it's nice to see him back. Uh, apparently, which, his which... fight scene where in the iOS was like just added in at the last minute. But in a way, Patrick, that kind of suggests the kind of small progress we see in the IRS office, mm. perhaps. Like if you think about it over the course of his career. Yeah. It's not like Hollywood is replete with great roles for Asian Americans. No. No, no, it's But not. compare, you know, compare the era and, of and Indiana Jones. And they are, are they cast to Asian Americans? Or are they, right. you know, yeah. that's even the worst part. You know, like it's, it's, it's a kind of progress that's completely inadequate. Mm-hmm. And perhaps the film is again asking us to try to imagine something more ambitious and thoroughgoing. Yeah. So, I, so we both, so we watched the film that we loved. Yeah. Oh yeah. This. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, mean, I was, I I was very happy. I, that, I, I had a. One, I mean, I. You know, the moment I watched the film, I was like, okay, Alan's gonna gonna you know love this film. There's no uh, reason not to love this film because that was yeah. my fear after watching it. You know, after only finally watching it after so long it came out and all the hype, I was like, "Oh, is this going to yeah. film? Is yeah. this film going to yeah. live is up this... with the hype?" And, yeah, and, and, and I was like, "We need something good." We've had I was so a little bit worried with the, the way it was so overwhelming <laughs> at the beginning. I'm like, "Oh my god, I don't know if I can make it through this film. Like, is this what it's going to be?" <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, it was it was nice to to not have for for once to not have a film that had a lot of hype and a lot of positivity behind it to to be uh, disappointing. So yeah, yeah do, this, this do, film yeah. this film was and, was good on so many levels. And to do a podcast where we don't just sound like Statler and Waldorf, you know, sitting yeah. up in the no, balcony. This is why this sucks. You know, like like yeah. it just it's <laughs> it's been a long time I think since we sat down and we really could just celebrate something yeah. like this, which is well, and it, plus it's good for the podcast, right? I mean, if you, right, I to mean, demonstrate, yeah. We're, I mean, we're if you not set aside, emergence. if you set aside like streaming stuff, I'm not right. sure how far back we have to go to find a film we actually talked about in because it certainly hasn't been anything in the MCU recently. No, no. I've been pretty, I've been pretty uniformly. So yeah, so it, it's nice to actually, you know, yeah. to to get to get something right. that that, uh, um, you know, we can we can actually talk about in in positive terms, even even if there are minor you know flaws in it for some of us i mean that's that, that. great like we're it's flaws right? that you notice because yeah. it's so good yeah we're we're academics so i, I feel yeah. like it's almost impossible for us to just uniformly love anything right like our our entire training is to be like to pick things apart 